It's Wednesday, April 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me from the great state of Connecticut, it's Abby Mallon. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be here. We got a bunch of things to get to, um, uh, including the fact that earnings season is heating up. Let's um, let's start with Amazon because uh, Amazon came out and announced that they are suspending the Amazon shipping service in June. Um, this is a service. This is the service that is the competitor to UPS and FedEx because it delivers. Basically, it delivers non-Amazon packages, and this is available in Los Angeles and a few other cities. But I'm curious what you thought when you saw this news. Yeah, so it is halting the delivery service of just those non-Amazon packages starting in June. And you're right, they pick up directly from the business and then deliver directly to consumers. So it doesn't, in this operation, nothing was going through Amazon warehouses. And I think you know, halting this right now really makes sense. Amazon has said that they're seeing a surge in demand. Um, and there's only so many, you know, I think logistics is a hard business. There's only so many roads that people can use and so many trucks that people have available. And so obviously they have to first serve their customers, right? So I'm not surprised to see this move. And I think it just really underscores what a competitive and um, really commoditized business shipping is. Do you think it's possible that Amazon ends up rethinking the shipping business? Um, or do you think this is a situation where they're just literally just hitting the pause button on this because they want to own that last mile? They, they, you know, if, if they could wave a magic wand in five years or 10 years, they've t- taken out UPS, FedEx, or possibly both. I think this is a hard business. Like I said, it is sort of a commodity, right? So everyone has to use the same pathways, whether that is a road or the air travel space. Um, There's really no way to necessarily do this better unless you have, you know, somehow a better, more efficient operating structure. So that would be like more warehouses um, within better locations. And so I don't necessarily think that this is something that Amazon is trying to take over because there's really not a huge um, margin on this business. And it's very hard to do. So I wouldn't imagine that this is their main priority. Yeah. When I saw it, I was trying to sort of think through how this could play out both in the short term and in the long term. And in the short term, both as an Amazon shareholder and an Amazon customer, I just thought, okay, yeah, good. You know, it was just one of those things. Like, yeah, okay, it, 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 it's an ambitious proposal that they're undertaking, and I get why they're undertaking it, but it just seems like, particularly in the short term, just really try and focus more on Prime members and your basic customers. Exactly. Let's move on to Pinterest because Pinterest stock is up, I think, about eleven or twelve percent this morning, because Pinterest. And and by the way, I, I talk from time to time about how companies communicate, and I have to tip my hat to the people at Pinterest because they pulled off a, a pretty phenomenal feat here, because they simultaneously withdrew guidance for 2020, while at the same time updating guidance for Q1. They report on May 5th, and so they said, we're withdrawing guidance, but by the way, Q1, we're upping our revenue guidance for that. And the stock is up as a result of that. It was uh, it was a nice move. I agree. I mean, they did report preliminary results for that first 
section of the year. So revenue beat expectations. We're talking global monthly active users of about 365 million, including about 90 million in the US. So, I mean, those are big numbers for them. And I think notably as a recent IPO and also sort of one of those um, tech companies that's still experiencing pretty significant growth, they do have cash of about 1.7 billion on the balance sheet and no debt. So going into this, Pinterest is very strongly positioned. Right. And, the, you know, this I don't own shares of the stock, but the stock is not down dramatically from where it was at the beginning of the year. It's, it's you know, I think it was $18, $19 a share. It's closing in on $17 a share with the with the move today. And I got to be honest, Abby, I, ha- I really hadn't thought about the business of Pinterest as being a beneficiary of everybody staying at home. I immediately went to, to me, the obvious winners of streaming video and video games, you know, the entertainment plays. But I don't know. This now that I think about it, it seems like this is an environment where Pinterest can do well. Also, I think you hit on two good points there. The first is, you know, they're being negatively impacted because of, you know, global advertising revenues have obviously fallen dramatically. Um, their management team said that they saw quote a sharp deceleration from the middle through the end of March. So that's sort of working against them. But to their credit, they also mentioned that. In the last two weeks, they've seen record levels of engagement in pinners searching for and saving ideas, um, creating new boards, organizing projects. So this time has been so both sort of a headwind and a tailwind for them. Yeah, but just the you know when you talk about sort of how people use Pinterest and you know two of the ways that Pinterest gets used are for cooking and for home improvement projects. And right. I don't know about the house you're in, but there's a lot of both of those going on in my house. Right. Definitely. We're going to move to a company I'm pretty sure we have never discussed on Market Foolery in the, I don't know, 1800 episodes or so that we've done over the past decade. And it's it's Williams Companies. Williams Companies is an energy business. It's based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They are natural gas pipelines. Uh, They're an operator. And Williams Companies is in the news because they adopted a poison pill that's going to kick in if anyone tries to accumulate a stake of 5% or more in the company. And... Well, before I get to what I think about this, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's a move that we're going to see increasingly more of as the market continues to be pretty volatile. So as of right now, more than 20 companies have adopted similar poison pill um, methodologies amidst this coronavirus, right? So first, let's define a poison pill. And that's really an anti-takeover measure that can be used to sort of neutralize shareholder activities. And so how it works is when an outsider buys more than a predetermined amount of stock, the company then floods the market with new shares. So it makes it expensive for the outsider to buy that controlling stake. And typically that threshold for um, for flooding the market is between 10 and 20%. And it's often criticized by investors because uh, those moves can block what could be a beneficial takeover and acquirers who might offer a significant takeover premium. So it's not always seen so kindly by investors. And I think this one in particular is getting a lot of pushback um, with an 
influential proxy advisor, Institutional Shareholder Services, um, has actually come out and taken the unusual step of urging shareholders to withhold votes for the chairman. And that is because their threshold was set at 5%. So if an outsider takes a 5% stake, they plan to flood the market and make it more expensive for someone else to actually get that controlling stake. So I think we're seeing a lot of negativity, but I expect more of this activity to happen. Do you expect more of it to happen across all industries, or do you expect more of it to happen in the energy industry? Because one of the things we've talked about recently is the environment sure seems ripe for consolidation, with, particularly within the energy industry. I think it's going to happen first in the energy industry. We do see a lot of turbulence in the energy markets right now. Oil is arguably unsustainably low for a lot of American producers. Um, so, and, and those are capital intensive businesses. So those are companies that are going to come up against big amounts of debt due very soon and have very serious problems. And not a lot of them have the cash or the balance sheets really to support those and monitor through these times. So I think you're going to see it first in the energy company, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it spread throughout different sectors of the market. Yeah, this will be interesting to see how it plays out, both in terms of what other companies come out with poison pills. But I, I, I got to be honest, having never heard of this company before today, I'm now curious to see how this plays out for Williams companies, because this is not a tiny business. I mean, it's smaller than it was a year ago. I mean, a year ago, it was around a, a $35 billion company. Today, it's around $18 billion. That's still an enormous company, all things right. considered. So. Uh, the large precedent to set. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, um, how are you thinking generally about earnings season? Because it's going to start kicking into gear in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be an interesting earnings season. I think we can pretty much brace for um, lots of negative movements, although it could be argued that a lot of that is already priced in. But I think the ones to watch are really companies that are kind of I hate to use the word benefiting from a global pandemic, but companies who have seen increased traction in their business because of this global pandemic, right? So the obvious ones that come to mind are Teladoc, um, Zoom, Video, Slack. And especially when you compare Slack's numbers to Microsoft Teams, that competing product, um, Atlassian, Okta, and then a bunch of the big pharmaceutical companies who are working on developing treatments or vaccines for COVID-19. So there's about 20 of them, but it includes all your big players, including Pfizer, Gilead, GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, lots of companies. So I think it's going to be an interesting uh, earnings season, and I'll be interested to see what the market has already priced in. I think that uh, particularly when you think about what the last week has been like for Zoom video and the security issues facing Zoom video, um, you look at Zoom, you look at Slack, those are both innovative, young, small companies uh, with a lot going for them. They also have huge, deep-pocketed competitors in the form of Microsoft, Cisco Systems, and others. And I think that what has happened with Zoom Video on the security side makes cybersecurity all the more important and an even bigger selling point for any business that is trying to do what they're doing. And, you know, I would, I would throw, you know, telemedicine in there as well. Like Teladoc Certainly. is, you know, is a, a, a great story, both as a business and as a stock. But, 
you know, United Healthcare, they've got their own version of, of you know, Teladoc, and I'm sure they're looking to push that out there. So I think, I think the opportunities are, are really out there for everyone who is operating in those spaces. I would agree with that. Do you think that, you know, I smiled when you said, I think it's going to be an interesting earnings season. Do you think that, how do I want to put this? When companies come out, I, I think we all expect guidance to get withdrawn. You know, that, that's just a trend we're just going to keep seeing. And that's, you know, in, in many ways, that's a responsible thing to do. Um, as a result of that, do you think that it's harder for, company, for, for analysts like you and just for individual investors uh, to, uh, to analyze companies? Or does it essentially free you up to say, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the judge of these numbers. If they're coming out and they're saying, we're not giving you guidance, here's what it is. Like, as a professional analyst, how does that make you feel? Are you excited about that? Or are you like, oh, okay, well, this is more work for me? I think it goes both ways, right? So stock prices are, you know, there's a lot of expectation built into them. And so when you remove management's sort of centering ballast point, it's harder to know what everybody else is expecting of that stock, right? So what I think could be a great quarter might still be negative in comparison to any other analyst, and therefore you could see the stock drop, or vice versa. What could be sort of disappointing to me could really exceed other people's expectations, and the stock could go up from there. I think from a long-term perspective, I'm not, because we're not you know, trying to trade in and out of stocks based around earnings calls, I'm not so concerned with it in the long term, but I do think it makes the job a little bit harder in some ways. But I think I agree with you. I mean, if I were a management team, this is certainly what I would be doing too. I mean, we don't have a timeline for this pandemic and we don't know when business is going to resume. And until they know that, they can't really forecast anything. So, and certainly they don't want to make a forecast and then have to revise to the downside because that always leads to negative volatility in the stock. So, I think it's a fair move that they're doing, but it does make the job a little bit harder. Abby Mallon, good seeing you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.